0: go to the Lord in prayer this morning. We're going to be reading Jonah chapter 3 and looking at verse 10. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we give you praise this morning and we thank you for this day that you've given us to worship you. You have set this day aside, Lord, the first day of the week to bring you praise and glory. Father, we thank you and praise you. We ask God that you would minister to us through your word We pray that you would teach us according to your spirit, by your word, and that you would lead us to a life that is glorifying to Christ. And we pray, Lord, that if there be anyone here who does not know you, that this would be the day of salvation. We ask this in the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning, we're looking at Jonah chapter three, and we'll be looking at one verse, verse 10. Jonah chapter three, verse 10. And the word of God reads as followed. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This morning, as we look at our text, we must confess, first and foremost, that whenever we talk about the secret things of God, we have to humble ourselves and be reminded that we are weak and our feeble minds cannot exhaustively comprehend the mind of God. <clears throat> and this morning, this is a topic that is, a, is, is fit just for that phrase. We are weak and we cannot understand the mind of God. The title of this morning's message is The Immutability of God. The Immutability of God. Now I use that word purposefully Because it's important for us to understand theological phrases. When you're reading a book and they use immutability, you want to be able to know what they're talking about. But simply put, what immutability means is the unchangingness of God. In other words, God cannot change. And so, you throw the word immutability around, and that's what it means. God cannot change. Now, our text this morning it was the Holy Spirit who moved the writer of this portion of scripture to set these words before us. These words and others similar to them have been the cause of confusion for many and an excuse for others to make the false accusation that the Bible was filled with contradictions. The Bible tells us that God does not change And that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And here, in our passage, in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, we're told that God relented over the destruction of Nineveh when they repented. And so as the college students would ask, what gives? What's up with that? Edwin, you want me to believe the Bible, but there's a contradiction here. And that is what we are called to believe, that God does not change. And this is the truth that scripture emphatically reminds us of. God is unchanging. So how is God unchanging as the Bible claims it is, as the Bible claims him to be? And at the same time, there are instances where God is seen to have changed his ways or his actions. Is that not a contradiction? No, it's not. We'll look at that more in a moment. The reality is this. God does not change. God cannot change. And that is what we are called to believe. Because that is what the Bible tells us about God. And God has revealed himself to us in that light. And we as followers of Christ ought to believe what God said. Now, as followers of Christ... When there is a change in God's course of action, this is only an apparent change. And we'll look at this more in a moment. In our human perspective, this looks like a change to us, but it is never a change from God's perspective, from God's ultimate will. In other words, there is something going on in our text here in Jonah chapter 3 verse 10 that we think we know, but we don't really know. We can grasp and we can apprehend, but there's a deepness about God and His mind that we will be basking in for eternity to grasp, to understand. There is something going on beyond our understanding that we cannot completely grasp and understand about the mind of God when we think about verse 10. And God is either unchanging or he is changing. And the Bible says that he is unchanging. So believe the Bible. Amen. Your friends are going to come to you and say, but Edwin, that's what this says. Or this is what it says. Believe God. And if you come across something or someone that says you ought not to believe the Bible because X, Y, and Z, don't panic. Go to the Lord and study and ask others and think deeply and get back to them. It was Thomas Watson who said this, In God there is nothing that looks like a contradiction, for better or worse, not better, because then he were not perfect, not worse, for then he would cease to be perfect. He is immutably holy, immutably good. There is no shadow of change in him. And so, brothers and sisters, God is unchanging in his essence and in his will, and yet... Yet, there are times when God changes the outcome of a situation due to the response of people, all of which is done without violating his ultimate will and purpose. And so let's define immutability or unchangingness. Noah Webster's Dictionary 1828 says the following concerning God's immutability. Immutability is the quality that renders change or alteration impossible. And variableness, immutability is an attribute of God. So God cannot be altered. God cannot change. There are no variables in God. It is impossible for that to be the case in God. And So when we're talking about the attributes of God, There are what we call communicable and incommunicable attributes. Now, this is important, too, for the sake of you reading your books and your theology and growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is systematic theology for you theology nerds and those who like those kinds of things like me. Uh, Next week or the week following, Tom will have the grace and the privilege to preach or teach through the attributes of God in our Sunday school. Uh, So you won't want to miss that, Lord willing. Uh, That will be the case. Uh, But but when we think about the communicable and the incommunicable attributes of God, what are we talking about? Well, the incommunicable attributes of God belong to God alone. In other words, we cannot possess these attributes of God. And some of those are holiness, self-existing, self-sufficiency, sovereignty. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. And today as we look at our text, he is immutable, he is unchanging. So that is incommunicable attributes. But then we have what is called communicable attributes and these are attributes that we can possess. This is what it means to be created in the image of God, that we have the ability like God for goodness and hate and justice and knowledge and love and rationality and mercy and speech and truthfulness and wisdom. We can't share in God's omniscience, but we can share in hating sin. God hates sin, though not perfectly. And yet we can share these attributes with God. And so what is immutability? Immutability is an attribute of God that teaches us that God's nature, the essence of who he is, is unchanging. Who God is and who he is not. The scriptures make clear to us who God is, is who he always has been and will forever be. And so by virtue of his eternal being, only God possesses the attribute of immutability. This attribute is one that no created being can possess because all things created have been affected by the fall. And because of the fall, we are ever-changing people who live in an ever-changing world. Immutability or the unchangingness of God does not mean that God is so remote from us that he is not moved by our genuine or disingenuous interaction with him. Rather, his unchangingness or immutability teaches us that even those interactions with God in real time cannot sway His purposes. God is a God who shows pity and is merciful toward his creation. He remembers our weaknesses and he interacts with us according to our weaknesses. And scripture tells us that God is a rock. He is a rock who is sure when all else around us gives way. And when you think through various texts of scripture, where there appears to be a contradiction, we have to hold on to the reality that God is unchanging. And this is good news for the believer, but it is terrifying news to the unbeliever, which we'll look at more in a moment. And so throughout scripture, we see that God is unchanging in his essence and in his will. Very briefly, a few examples. Psalm 93, verse two, he is from all eternity. Jeremiah ten, ten: he is the eternal king. Romans 1.23, He is the immortal God. 1 Timothy 6.16, He alone is immortality, or He alone is immortal. Psalm 90, verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, He is God. Psalm 102, 25 through 27, heaven and earth may pass away, but you remain the same. Your years will never end. Isaiah 48, verse 2. He is the first and the last. Psalm 33, verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. And James reminds us that every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And Malachi just plain simply says, God says this through Malachi, for I, the Lord, do not change. So if you're looking for a clear text throughout scripture, those are some, but particularly we see this in Malachi. I, the Lord, do not change. Let me read you a quote from A.W. Pink before we look at our text. He says this, this is one of the divine perfections, which is not sufficiently pondered. In other words, we don't think about this immutability or unchangingness of God enough. It is one of the excellencies of the Creator which distinguishes Him from all His creatures. God is perpetually the same, subject to no change in His being, attributes, or determinations. Therefore, God is compared to a rock which remains immovable when the entire ocean surrounding it is continually in fluctuating state. Even so, though all creatures are subject to change, God is immutable. Because God has no beginning and no end, he can know no change. He is everlastingly the Father of lights with whom there are no variate no variableness, neither changing, n- neither shadow due to change. So God is unchanging. God is unchanging. Unlike man, unlike nature, unlike all created things that are subject to change, God is unchanging. The almighty God is the only being that is certain to remain the same. The weather changes. The moods of men change. The schemes and plans of men change. The plans of devils and demons change. But God will always remain the same. And it is impossible for him to get better or wiser or stronger God cannot get better or worse in anything because in everything his ways of being are absolutely perfect. This is important for us because when we're going through hardship and we start saying, God, what are you doing? Or God, how could you do this? I get it in our humanness, but we ought to remember whom we are speaking to. This is the God who makes no mistakes and everything he does, he does for his own glory and for the good of his people. Thomas Watson in The Body of Divinity says this, men are fickle. Now, this is a word for Thomas Watson. If you haven't read Thomas Watson, do yourself a favor. He is one of the best Puritan writers you will ever read. And let me give you an example. He creates these word pictures, listen to this. Men are fickle and mutable, like Reuben, unstable as water. They are unchangeable in their principles." If their face altered as fast as their opinions, we should not know them. Unchangeable in their resolutions as the wind that blows in the east presently turns about to the west. They remove, he goes on, they resolve to be virtuous but quickly repent of their resolutions. Their minds are like a sick man's pulse which alters every half hour. Isn't that the case? We change so quickly. We are not stable, but God is. We are changing, but God is unchanging. And so the summary to our first point is that God is unchanging in his essence and in his will as fallen creatures, we are ever changing. Well, secondly, there are times when God appears to change or changes the outcome of a situation due to the response of people. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. What God was going to do to Nineveh was to destroy them. He was going to judge them if they did not repent. Now we know that God did not destroy them. And the reason why is because they did repent. And so what does it mean that God changed his mind or he relented? This is important for us to think through, which we'll look more in detail here in a moment, but repenting means to turn away from, right? Or to, uh, it means uh, revisiting one's judgment or uh, changing one's plan or action. This is utterly impossible for God to do. He never needs to change his plans because all his plans are perfect. He never needs to revise his plan or go back to headquarters and think of a better plan. Nothing takes him by surprise and nothing is ever an emergency to him. And the psalmist put it this way, the plans of the Lord stand firm, the purposes of his heart through all generations. And God has never changed, it will never change because he is immutable in his eternal attributes. God will forever be eternally unchanging. And so what does it mean that God changed his mind or that he relented let's look at our text let's go back to verse 6 it says in verse 6 of jonah chapter 3 the word reached the king of nineveh and he arose from his throne removed his robe covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes and so we hear, finally, after Jonah gets there to Nineveh, he preaches the word, and the word is, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be destroyed, or overturned, or overthrown. The word, it says, reached the king of Nineveh. Now, pause. How powerful is the word of God? I could just imagine Jonah, all right, I'll just do it, right? And I'll preach it, and he, and he, he, he gets his preacher voice on, and Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. And and really the text says that what he may have done is been saying that while he was walking through Nineveh. And so he may have repeated that phrase. But then we see in chapter four, which we'll look at, he sits outside the the, the gate. And he sits outside the town just to, to let God find God. I did what you wanted me to do now. I'm not doing no more. But brothers and sisters, you take... Those five Hebrew words. And you see what God did. And it reached the king of Nineveh. And the effect that it had on the king of Nineveh was that he arose, he removed his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. And he issued, it says in verse 7, a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. And that was, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast There goes that word again. Herb or flock, taste anything, let them not feed or drink water. And so we see that now the king is pricked in his heart. He hears the word, he receives the word, and now he makes a decree. Verse 8. But let the man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone, and this is a key word, turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands verse 9 who knows God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish and then verse 10 when God saw what they did how they turned from their evil way God relented from the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it now look verse 8 the king calls them let everyone turn from what His evil way. And they were to turn also from specifically the violence of their hands. It talked about how violent the people of Nineveh were. And they were forsaking their most treasured sin. And the king calls them to turn from their evil ways. And verse 9, who knows? This is a mystery, right? Verse 9, who knows if God will show mercy and compassion? We know God is merciful, we know God is compassionate, but we ought never to presume on, any God, on anything concerning God. And we see this a lot in our day, right? Just pray this prayer, repeat after me, squeeze my hand. And if you say these magical words, you will be made right with God and you'll never lose your salvation. This is dangerous. That isn't the gospel. And the king says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger. Now, the king says, who knows? The king does not know that God is going to show mercy to them. This is a mystery from his perspective. Right? He, he's not educated in the scriptures. He doesn't know who God is or how God works. He's familiar with his God's who are not merciful and compassionate and long-suffering. And he doesn't know a God that is longing to forgive sinners. But this was the plan of God in eternity past. God sent Jonah to Nineveh so that they would repent and believe in God. This word relent is not the same as repent. This is important. This is a key. The Ninevites were repenting of their sin. God cannot repent of any sin because God cannot sin. He is perfect in his being. This word relent here means that God showed pity and was moved to compassion for them. And there are places in scripture where God calls his servant to do something that they do not understand and yet God has already decreed what would take place. But to the person who is either delivering it or receiving the message, they are not certain how the matter will turn out. And God uses the real threat of terror to bring them to repentance. i got someone else who wants to preach this morning. But you see, see it's a real threat that God brings. Nineveh, repent! And, and they're trembling. And they don't know what God is going to do. But the whole time, God knows what he's doing. The whole time, God knows what he's going to do. There is a distinction that we must make. And that's this, brothers and sisters. God's immutability immutability does not equate to God's immobility. I'll repeat that. God's immutability does not equate to God's immobility. Yes, it is true that God does not change, but God is not static. God cares for and is moved by His creation. He is not apathetic or uninvolved with His creation. The Hebrew word here that is used again for relent refers to a decision to act otherwise and does not necessarily imply that the first action is inferior to the second. And so we're reminded of this, for example, in Jeremiah 18. The prophet Jeremiah speaks on God's behalf. And listen to this, starting at verse 7 of Jeremiah 18. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. Verse 8. And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant, verse 10, and if it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do toward it. One commentator says, the fact that God changes his mind here does not represent the divine failing, but rather reveals his honest desire to be true to his own immutable nature. Paul Washer in his commentary says this, knowing, knowing the living God, he says this, God, speaking of God, he is dynamic and he interacts with his creation. He is always the same, but his relationship and dealings with uh, uh, with mutable men or with uh, 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 changeable men will vary according to how they respond to him. This is not a contradiction to his immutability, but proof of it. He will always respond to men's actions in a manner consistent with his unchanging attributes. And so we go forward and we tell men to repent God knows who's going to repent. And no, God isn't looking down the corridors of time to see if they will have the faith to repent. Men are dead. They don't have faith. Faith is a supernatural gift given to them by God. And yet God knows. He said, when I don't understand, then be humbled before the Lord. God, thirdly, God's ultimate will will never be violated. God's ultimate will will never be violated. The Nineveh that God had threatened to destroy was no longer. It was through the preaching of Jonah that a spiritual rebirth activated in these former pagans. There were literally or they were literally a new creation because of their repentance, and as a result, God was true to his eternal decree to save these people. And not bring judgment upon them. Let me press in a little more on this. In eternity past, God the Father chose the Ninevites to be his precious people. He sent his son Jesus Christ to live a perfect life on behalf of the Ninevites. And yes, Edwin, that didn't happen yet. But God is so powerful, he, he, he counted it to their account before it even happened. And then the Holy Spirit working through the preaching of God's word affects the Ninevites' hearts and they repent of their sin. But the threat of their destruction was real. And if they did not repent, they would have experienced the judgment that Jonah preached. But in the end, God's ultimate will was not violated. His will was done. The people of Nineveh believed God. And this is the overall takeaway that we should receive from this text. God desires the repentance of sinners. This is important. It isn't our job to understand the secret knowledge of God. Our responsibility is to know and humble ourselves before the revealed will of God. And so wherever your mind can't take anymore, and it sounds confusing, stop there and praise God. And pick it back up and dig a little deeper and praise God. And search the scriptures where he has revealed himself because he does not change. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. And yet, God shows compassion and he pities sinners. And so what is our application by way of these truths this morning? Number one, what application does God's immutability have on the believer's salvation? Well, simply this, God will not change his mind about your salvation. God will not change his mind about your salvation. We'll look at that more in a moment. Secondly, what effect does it have or the immutability of God have on the unbeliever? God will not change his mind about the judgment of sin over the unbeliever. God will not change his mind concerning those that are his, and God will not change his mind for those who reject him. To the believer, if you are a follower of Christ. You can be confident in your eternal security in Christ because God is unchanging. Believers can be comforted by the immutability of our God because all His promises in Christ are yes and amen. And we are heirs of Christ. We are joint heirs. Not one of His promises will fail over our lives and nothing can diminish them. No circumstance, or happenstance, or any strange occurrence that takes place in this life, or any opinion of man, will ever postpone the promises of God. God leads His children into these ways of darkness and confusion and uncertainty so that He would help us to trust His Word. To trust His Word. And not only is God the Father unchanging in all His ways, But so is Jesus, who is the second person of the Trinity. And Jesus Christ is almighty to save. Well, to the unbeliever, one writer said this, Since God is immutable, how should you fear, unconverted sinner? For all the threatenings and judgments, both temporal and eternal, with which you have been threatened, will certainly and unavoidably come upon you if you do not repent. In the same way God forgave these repentant sinners in Nineveh upon their repentance of sin, so God still forgives repentant sinners in our day if they trust in Christ. And God desires, God desires to be reconciled to man. And that we also should be reconciled to him. However, we must remember that God does not change. His standard for perfection is still in place and only Jesus can meet that perfect and holy standard. God isn't going to change the rules of his righteous decree that was established from eternity because you think you've got a different way or a better way or a more innovative way. Salvation is only still through Jesus Christ alone. God does not change. In the same way God shows compassion to the Ninevites in Jonah's day, so he does in our day when sinners turn from their evil ways and trust in Christ alone. You can't go to church enough or get baptized enough or merit goodness before God That is impossible because we are sinners. You must come to him brokenhearted and he will build you up. You must come to him crushed under the weight of your sin and he will restore you. You must feel your deserved judgment from a holy God and flee from the wrath to come which can only come through Jesus Christ. And so this morning as we close, what is the spirit of God saying this morning? was the same message relative to what Jonah was saying. Come. Come. Are you hungry? Then come. Are you thirsty? Then come. Are you broke and bankrupt? Then come. And when you come, the unchanging God, who has drawn you to himself, will keep you for himself. And you will be kept by God. And you can praise God that regardless of your sins and the weaknesses of your frailty as you live this Christian life, that your salvation isn't dependent on your actions, but on the actions of Christ. Because Christ lived the perfect life that we could never live. And Christ has given us His righteousness. And because of Christ and Christ alone, we have the ability to die to sin and draw near to Him. And so as we Closing the word of prayer, I want to read this text again in verse 10 of Jonah chapter 3. And I want you to be encouraged, brothers and sisters. Preach the gospel. There's a great commission that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28. Go. Isn't that amazing? Jesus tells them to go. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go. And guess what? All authority in heaven and on earth Is mine. And so as you go, you're not going alone. Don't worry, well, God, is this the elect or is this person going to truly be yours and not just go and preach and call men to repentance and call them to look to Christ and it is none of your business what is and none of my business what is God's eternal decree. We just go. And we believe that God is unchanging. And guess what? The unchanging God has the power through the preached word of God to change the hardest of hearts. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. Let's pray. Father, we are so weak. We confess that this morning. And we acknowledge our frailty to fully comprehend your ways. And yet, God, you have spoken clearly about your nature and your character, that you are unchanging. And to think, God, that a holy, holy, holy God can have compassion on sinners. We praise you, Lord. We pray, God, that as we live for you, And truly trust you that you would remind us of these glorious truths concerning your character. And we pray, Lord, that you would change the hearts of people who do not know you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Edwin. Please stand for our closing song, You're My All in All.